0: And our passage for today is the book of Philippians, chapter 2. There is no more profound passage of Scripture than that which lies at the heart of chapter 2 of the book of Philippians. Let's get right to it. Paul says, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, all of these encouraging words, and these are all ifs, that assume that there is that's right it is an assumption that is a rhetorical question if there is he's not questioning whether there is but stating of course there is therefore if there is any consolation in christ any encouragement any exhortation any comfort of love If any fellowship of the Spirit, all of these things are true. If there is any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. It all starts in the mind. Now, the mind is equal to the heart, that is, the part of us that has intellect, has the ability to reason. All of this has to do with the mind. I have said to you in the past, and I'll say it again in the future, everything starts with a thought. A thought turns into another thought, and then that turns into an attitude. An attitude is where actions come. And when we do actions long enough, we form a habit. If we think something long enough, we form a habit. Go back and listen to the podcasts that have to do with the mind and with the forming of habits. That's why we started the 365 Bible reading plan is so that we would get in the habit. We would form a habit in 66 days The average person, or that is the average, I should say, of how long it takes to truly have a life-changing habit formed, 66 days. And so the Apostle Paul goes back to the mind, to the thoughts, and he said, be of one mind. That is, you need to think the same thoughts about certain things. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but for the interest of others. Now, as you can tell, Paul is into this concept of unity within the church, not uniformity where everybody says, looks, talks just alike, dresses alike. We're not talking about uniformity. We're talking about unity. That means all kinds of people coming together and building life around one purpose, around one person, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, because he is our life. And so this is very, very important to understand what unity is. You see, it's like when you play a symphony. And you hear a symphony playing, and they're coming from all different instruments, all different gifts, all different gifting, but they're all playing on the same sheet of music. And together they make a beautiful, harmonious sound people are playing different instruments, they are playing different lines, but it is all on the same page, the same song. And that's one of the words that describes believers is sum sumphonos, that is together with one voice. And he said, let this mind be in you, here again is this idea of thinking, let this mind be in you, which was also in Messiah, Jesus, in the Christos, who being in Form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. In other words, he didn't consider it something that he needed to grasp or hold on to. Did that mean that he ceased to be God when he became man and was born as a babe in Bethlehem? Not at all. He is God. He is the very essence of God. He is the fullness of Godhead in bodily form. That's what the Apostle Paul told the Colossians, and we'll get to that. Before soon enough. But what I'm saying is he emptied himself. And so the question down through the ages is, what did he empty himself of? Of his attributes? That's what many say. I don't believe that. Of his uh, deity? No, absolutely not. He could not do that. He could not deny himself. And so he did not cease to be God when he became man. And so what did he empty himself of? Well, All you have to do is read through the critical and exegetical commentaries on this the linguistic historical commentaries on this and study Christology and you will get as many views as you do pages in the book and so you say pastor Tony what do you believe he emptied himself of let me make it easy for you I believe that this great concept of emptying himself had to do with his glory Now, we got a glimpse of that when the wall and the curtain and the veil was pulled back on the mount of what we call Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus was glorified and as he spoke in a glorified state. The glory that he shielded, the glory that he emptied himself of. When he met with Moses and Elijah, the Bible says his raiment became as shining as the midday sun. It was so brilliant that Peter, James, and John had to fall on their faces and not look. But they recognized Jesus in his glorified state. After the resurrection, his substitutionary death for our sins and resurrection, he went back to the Father, and uh, the glory was restored. And Jesus prayed that just as He and the Father had intimacy, and he and the Father were one. He and the Father were glorified. He prayed in John 17 that that same experience would be ours one day, those of us who are followers of Jesus. And Jesus, instead of trying to hold on to that, the Bible says he made himself of no reputation. And he took the form of a bondservant, of a slave, and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient, obedient to the point even of dying on the cross, obedient even to the point of death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. Now, I believe that the reason there is this contrast of Jesus emptying himself and becoming as a servant, as a slave, as a man. He was a man. He did not cease to be God. He was not half God, half man. He was not at some point God and then became man and ceased to be God. And when he uh, was glorified, he did not cease to be man. You see, Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. That is how the scripture presents him. But he emptied himself so that he could walk in fashion as a man. That doesn't mean that he was not truly man, that he was some kind of apparition. No, no, no. It just simply means that he lived life as a man. He trusted the Holy Spirit. He always did what the Father asked him to do. Many times he would slip away early in the morning while the disciples were still sleeping, the scripture would say it like this, a great way before dawn, a great way before day. Jesus went and talked with the father. On one occasion, more than one occasion, he said, I do not do what I want to do, but only that which I see the father doing. You see, he lived in total obedience, but listen, not just obedience, but dependence upon what his father said and the Holy Spirit guided him and helped him. And you say, well, how does all of that work? I thought the father, son, Holy Spirit are one. Yes, they are. But in the same way, they are distinct and are three persons in one. It is a triunity. They are one, but yet more than one, a triunity. You say, oh my goodness, my head is hurting. Uh, My mind can't get hold of that. Well, the reality is no mind can get a hold of this because we are talking about uh, concepts of infinity, and we are a finite being. We're talking about something that is beyond our limited knowledge because it is unlimited. We're talking about something that is heavenly and spiritual. We are earthly. We are non-spiritual. We're fleshly. And so even in our greatest state, we will never understand in this life and in our capacity, we will never understand the greatness and the grandeur and the glory of Almighty God. But we have to accept it as it is because it's what the Bible says. He humbled himself and he died on the cross. And the Bible says, therefore, because he was obedient, even unto the death of the cross, he lived as a man. He trusted his father as a man. He walked with his father as a man. And the scripture says, therefore, God has highly exalted him, raised him up and given him a name, which is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus, Messiah, is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, this is very important to sum this up and I'm not trying to be tried. I'm not trying to say I know everything there is to know. I don't about this passage. Great, great men differ on this passage. Wonderful theologians differ on this passage. But one thing I can tell you, when Jesus came to this earth, he came and was born as a man, as a true man, fully man. And he did not cease to be God. But the glory that he had with the Father before the world began, he did not exhibit that. He laid that aside. He did not give it up. He laid it aside for a time because he wanted to walk in obedience to show us that it could be done. Why? Because Adam failed at it. The man who was put in a pristine garden where no sin had ever been, surrounded by everything that is holy, pure, God-honoring, and Adam blew it. He failed. He sinned. He fell short. Jesus came into a sin cursed world where everyone around him was a sinner even his mother and his brothers and his stepfather and his greater family and everyone he came in contact with. Not only the people were fallen, but the ground that he came and walked on was cursed. The water that he walked on was cursed. The atmosphere was cursed. Everything was cursed. And yet with everything that Adam did not have, Jesus had as far as evil and wickedness confronting him constantly, Yet the Bible says he was without sin. He came out spotless and pure. And because of that, God has given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every tongue shall confess, every knee shall bow, and will proclaim that he is Lord therefore my beloved as you have always obeyed not just in my presence only but now much more in my absence in other words they had to do without him he said work out your own salvation with fear and trembling now this is one of those verses that has been twisted to say that we have to work for our salvation no this has nothing to do with that it is salvation that god has given as a gift. It's like giving someone a silver mine, a gold mine, field filled with gold veins and silver veins. But it is a mine, and you have to work it out. How much silver and gold do you want? How much knowledge do you want? How much do you want to walk with God? How much do you want to know God? The riches of his grace and glory are ours. But how much we enjoy that, how much we walk in that, how much we fellowship with God, listen, is your choice and mine. God has given us the fullness of his spirit to enjoy. How much do we do that? God gives us all different kinds of circumstances that come into our lives to test us. And God wants us to work it out. God wants us to seek his face so we'll know how to handle these temptations, these trials, and everything that comes into our lives. It's like gold that we have to mine out. We have to work it out. And God will give us wisdom to do it. And so he says, work out the salvation that God has given you with fear with trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. In other words, God has given you everything you need, son. God has given you everything you need, daughter. Let's work out this great salvation that God's put in us. And it needs to be worked out in public so people can see it. It needs to be worked out in our households, and our families, so our husband, our wife, our children can see it. Why? Because God has given us as an example to the world, to our families, to our friends. And so he says, work it out. Do all things without complaining. That's how you work it out. You're not and grumpy, and complaining, and always finding bad. Do it without disputing. That is, always arguing about everything. Some people are born in the kickative mood. Like Jeremiah, he said, I am a man who is born for controversy. That's what all of us feel sometimes that are in the Lord's work. And so he says, I want you to be blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked, a crooked, a perverse generation. It's not straight. It's not smooth. It's all been out of shape. He says, Among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Messiah. When we start the messianic age, that I have not run in vain, not been doing all I'm doing as a waste or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Paul said, we are all servants of the great king, and one day we will share in the glory. If we suffer with him, Jesus said, one day you will reign with me. Be of good cheer. In the world, you will have tribulation, crushing, pressure. You will be fought against. But please be happy, be joyful, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. For On The Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp.